happy Thanksgiving. I'm Art. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We have been working our way through uh, the book of Acts. We're not very far yet. We're just going to be reading chapter 2 today. If you brought your Bible or your electronic device, then I invite you to turn with me to chapter 2. But we're talking about called by Jesus. Called. Now, you know, if you were... um, Alive, of course you weren't, but if, if you could imagine being alive when Jesus was here on earth, and you can imagine what it would be like to have him come along and, and, and maybe reach out his hand and take yours, or, 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 or maybe put an arm on your shoulder and say, come, come and, and, and be with me, come and help me. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, like it would just, just be a thrill, it would just be beyond words, wouldn't it? Well, you know, friends, the reality is, is that, that he has and is calling us. He has called hundreds and thousands and millions of people over the years, and he's calling us today. We have the old sawhorse and the old hammer and saw as, as, as icons of building, And as we build, we build not with mortar and bricks and steel and wood, but we build in the spiritual realms of God and allow Him to speak into our hearts and lives. Come with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. As we read, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Listen what it says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. Let's pray a moment before we dig into this passage of Scripture, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come before you this morning, we come before a God who understands us. We come before a God who has inspired this word that we read. And we come before a God who wants to empower us with your Holy Spirit. Give us clarity, we pray today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and receive what you have for us to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
People gathered together in Jerusalem for major feasts, major celebrations in the Jewish culture. And there were three Jewish festivals that every male Jew living within 20 miles of Jerusalem was legally bound to attend. The Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Weeks. Now you go, uh, I, I don't understand this stuff. And uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm tracking with it this morning, but let me see if I can help us make some sense of it, shall we? First of all, there's a historical significance. You see, when the people of God, called the Israelites, were in bondage in slavery to the Egyptians, we find that God wanted to bring them into deliverance. <clears throat> he called his servant Moses. And he said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people out of the slavery and out of the bondage of the Egyptians, and I want you to lead them into a land of what we call the land of promise, the land of beauty, the land that when spies were sent out, they came back and reported that the land is flowing with milk and honey, and there's, there's abundance there. And God says, I want to bring you out. Well, you know, the Pharaoh gave them a lot of resistance, and finally, the last straw was, was, was broken, really. The last exercise, the last contest occurred. And God told the people through his servant Moses, take a lamb and slay the lamb and take the blood and, and, and put it on the, the, the lentils, the, the sides and the doorpost of the door. And I will send my angel and I will pass over you and when I see the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils, I will pass over you and you will be spared. But those that did not, either those that did not believe or those that are of the Egyptians that were of heathen nature, the oldest son, the firstborn son in every home died that night. What a terrible tragedy. But the children of Israel, the children of God, were spared. And then Moses led them out led them out of the land of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. These stories are found in the Bible in the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. You'll find these stories. And uh, he led them out. And then he said, annually, I want you to remember, I want you to celebrate the Passover commemorating the deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Pentecost is also uh, called, in the Hebrew language is called Shavuot, and uh, it may also be called uh, the Feast of Weeks, held the first part of June in the year. Uh, their harvest was about that time of the year, and it was a Jewish celebration commemorating the, the, the giving by God of the first five books uh, of, of the Torah, the Old Testament books, the first five books of, of the Old Testament. God gave those words to Moses and to give to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. It commemorates the wheat harvest in the land of Israel and the culmination of 49 days of what they called the counting of the Omer. They counted offerings that the people brought. They were to bring their offerings, the first fruits, the, first, the feast of the first fruits. And this had occurred the past seven Sabbaths that the people brought their offerings and then 
the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks was held. It occurred 49 days or seven weeks after the exodus from Egypt. Well, the celebrations included festive meals, all-night study of the Torah, those five books, reading of the book of Ruth, eating of dairy products, decorating homes and synagogues with all kinds of greenery, and it was quite a celebration. That was the historical significance. Well, there's a spiritual significance for us, and as we take a look at the, the spiritual significance, Jesus spoke of the provision of the comforter. Now, Jesus had come, and for those three and approximately half years, uh, he was teaching. He was moving about among the people. He was doing wonderful miracles. He was telling them about the kingdom of heaven, and he was teaching them about what their role would be in the future. They didn't necessarily get a good grasp on that at the, at the time. But Jesus did say this in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The presence of Jesus was with them in person. But Jesus told them, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to prepare a place for you in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. But in the meantime, friends, I am going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you one to comfort you, to strengthen you, to support and encourage you, and that is the Holy Spirit. Friends, today we understand that God is a triune being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God was going to send his Holy Spirit in a unique way and time to be with them and to empower them to live for him and to do the work that he had called them to do. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 is the parable that Jesus talked about of the good father. A parable is a story that explained things about heaven and explained things that they didn't understand by using things that they did understand as examples. So here's the parable of the good father, and he said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, in his final words before Jesus' ascension to heaven, he spoke to his followers about two important things. He commissioned them in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 to go and preach the gospel. He commissioned them to go and make it known that even if we take the three simple first letters of the alphabet, ABC, that we need to admit that we're sinners. We need to admit that we missed the mark as far as God is concerned. We need to believe what Jesus did when he died on the cross, taking the punishment for us and for all the people of the world. And then we need to make a conscious, deliberate choice to know him. And Jesus said, I want you to go and make this message known across the world. Go and preach the gospel. Matthew put it, go and make disciples of all nations. And then the second thing he told them, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, Jesus added in chapter 1 and verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. You shall proclaim who I am and what I do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Charles Spurgeon said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. Well, in John chapter 16, the Gospel of John chapter 16, Jesus said, and I read to you today from the Message Bible, But when the friend comes, the Spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and gently guide you into all the truth there is. From time to time, we may come across someone that that says, oh, I I have a new message from the Lord. I have a new message today that I want to share with you. Friends, today, if it doesn't align with the Word of God as we hold it in our hand, it's not credible. It must align with God's Word as we have it. There's many of those around that would proclaim that there's some new thing that God is doing. No, friends, I I don't buy that. I buy what, what, what God has said in his word, the truth. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. And we hold solidly to the truth of God's word. Although they didn't understand what would be happening, I believe the disciples had been preparing for this day, and Jesus had been preparing them. They had the prophecy from the man Joel way back some 700 years before Christ. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, Joel prophesied. And then John the Baptist had said right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of Jesus here. And then Jesus, very early in his ministry, he said believers were to be born again by the Spirit. You see, friends, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, When we admit our sinfulness and believe what Christ did for us and choose to know him, we receive him by his spirit. We don't receive him by some tangible means. We receive him by his spirit. Jesus taught believers were to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. And then Luke records, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Terry means to wait. Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are provided with a quality or ability. That's what endued means. Wait for the presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Isaiah chapter 40, 31, the prophet Isaiah said, But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, friends, we live in an instant demand society, don't we? We don't want to wait for anything. If there's a vehicle ahead of us as we go through the fast food lane, we're irritated. Huh? Come on. If we have to wait in a queue to pay for our uh, things we're buying at a store. Come on, come on, you know, get with it already. We want higher, faster, high speed on our internet. We don't want to wait. We want to move along. Often we become very irritated when we don't get our way immediately. I want it, and I want it now. 
We blow our horn if the car in front of us isn't starting off immediately when the light turns green. Patience is not on our list of virtues. But Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Father. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said, tarry, wait, be patient. They were with one accord in one place. Pastor Scott shared just last Sunday or the Sunday before perhaps that they continued with one accord, one purpose, one mind. They were in prayer and in supplication. They were waiting on God. Oh, friends, today, may I encourage us together, all of us, that we would learn to wait, we would learn to be patient and let God work in our lives according to his time. So often we put an agenda together and, and we want it to happen within this and this time frame. And if it doesn't happen according to our design, we get upset and we, get, we become irritated. Wait, Jesus said, with one accord. But then the text says, suddenly. Hmm. I guess there's the answer to that waiting, isn't it? Suddenly. There was a sound that filled the room. There was the appearance of tongues like fire. And the result was is that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's take those three and dig down a little deeper in them for a little while, shall we, this morning? That sound that filled the room was that of a rushing mighty wind. And it was not man-made. Man-made spirituality is sin And sometimes we find man's ideas and it's wrong. It is the works of the flesh. You see, the sound was God-made. It was supernatural and it it was created especially for the reason of identifying this occasion. It was identifying the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit upon them. Does God send the sound of a mighty rushing wind on every outpouring of his spirit? No. This was unique and it was special for this occasion. You know, when I'm studying a passage of scripture and want to do my best in sharing it with you, I always like to go and dig a little deeper and read some commentaries that some people have put together to help us understand this. A fellow by the name of Gill puts it this way. As of a rushing mighty wind, it was not a wind, but like one. And the noise it made was like a rushing noise of a strong and boisterous wind that carries all before it. The Spirit of God is sometimes compared to the wind because of the freeness of his operations, one that blows wherever it listeth, the Scripture says. So he works when and where and on whom he pleases, And also because of the power and ability to produce the desired result of his grace, which is mighty and irresistible and works with great energy upon the minds of man as the wind is secret and invisible, so the operations of the Spirit are in a manner secret and imperceptible unto men that may likewise be applied to the gospel when it comes with the Holy Spirit and with power. It makes its way into the heart and throws down the strongholds of sin and Satan. There it works effectually, though secretly, and is the power of God to salvation. How does the Spirit come upon us when when we trust Christ as Savior? I don't know. How How does the Spirit of Christ enter our being? 
I don't know, but it's miraculous and it's God-given. Commentator Matthew Henry writes, Let us agree to love one another, for where brethren dwell in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. A rushing mighty wind came with great force. This was to signify the powerful influences and working of the Spirit of God upon the minds of men and thereby upon the world. Thus the convictions of the Spirit make way for his comforts and the rough blasts of that blessed wind prepare the soul for its soft and gentle gales. Remember the story of Elijah in the, in the Old Testament. He was seeking God and God sent a wind and was God in the fire, in the wind? No. And he sent a fire and was God in the fire? No. And God was in a still, small voice as he spoke. Oh, friends, today it's wonderful to see God work in miraculous, powerful, sensational ways, and he does that. But oh, it's wonderful to see him work in that soft, gentle breeze, that beautiful breeze of the Holy Spirit that comes over us and we just can't describe it. The disciples needed to be checked, startled, and pulled for any spirit of complacency. They needed strong confidence instilled in them in order to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the faces of the very people that put Christ to death. They needed a confidence. They needed an assurance. They needed something that was only able to be given to them by God himself. Well, there was the sound of the rushing mighty wind, and then there was the fire that came. There was the appearance of tongues like fire, the text says. You see, God is a God of miracles, and over the centuries he has used fire to draw man's attention to himself. Remember the account, perhaps, uh, back in again the book of Exodus where God called Moses to follow him and Moses was out in the desert and he was actually looking after his father-in-law's sheep and there was a bush that was burning and the bush wasn't being consumed and Moses said I got to check this out and he went over and God spoke to him and he said Moses take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground God's God got Moses attention with the fire. Nadab and Abihu were sons of the high priest Aaron. And you see, not long before that, the tabernacle had been built, the place where God had invited them to build this place where he could be among them. And he had, he had given them instructions, and they had built, they'd built the tabernacle, they'd built the enclosure and the altar of sacrifice and all the other pieces of furniture. We won't get into that this morning because we just don't have time. But when everything was right, God lit the fire on the altar. And that altar fire was never to go out. It was to burn day and night continuously. And then when they were to take uh, and have fire for the incense in the holy place, they were to take fire off that altar. Nadab and Abihu prepared a censer and they took fire from their home cooking fire, perhaps, and God killed them that day because of their disobedience. Well, in the days of wanderings in the wilderness, he led his people by the pillar of fire and by the cloud. And then the account of Elijah with the contest of the prophets of Baal. And the altar was put together and the meat was put on the altar and, and, and it was prepared and they even poured water on it. 
And then Elijah said, let the God who is God Almighty answer by fire. And that day the fire came down and consumed the meat and consumed the wood and consumed the stones and the water and the dust. And it was a tremendous, powerful outpouring of God's fire. Matthew Henry says there was an appearance of something like flaming fire, lighting on every one of them, according to John the Baptist saying concerning Christ, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Spirit, like fire, melts the heart, burns up the dross, and kindles pious and devout affections in the soul, in which, as in the fire on the altar, the spiritual sacrifices are offered up. These tongues, like fire, divided and sat upon each of them, and some translations put it, it sat upon them, that there was one fire, one fire divided, not several. There was the appearance of tongues like fire. Well, thirdly was the result. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry again puts it this way. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit more than before. They were filled with the graces of the Spirit and more than ever under his sanctifying influences, more weaned from this world and better acquainted with the other. They were more filled with the comforts of the Spirit, rejoicing more than ever in the love of Christ and in the hope of heaven. Wow, what an experience. What an experience. They were rejoicing more than ever before in the love of Christ and the hope of heaven. In all of their griefs and fears were swallowed up by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had miraculous powers for furtherance of the gospel, as Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They spoke not from previous thought or meditation, but as the Spirit gave them words to say. What a blessed experience. Bible commentator R.A. Torrey has put it this way, as a Christian, we must on the one hand drink of the Spirit of life to be filled with life, and on the other hand, we must be clothed with the Holy Spirit of power to be equipped with power for service and for ministry. Friends, today, if we try to do the work of God on man's conditions and man's terms and man's power, we're going to fall awfully short, awfully quick. When the Lord was about to send into heaven, he said to his disciples, I'm going to send you the Father, the friend. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, what my Father promised but stay in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. I want you to wait, Jesus said. I want you to tarry. I want you to be in one accord. I want you to be in agreement. And I will send the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Tori goes on to say, so then, friends, what is our condition? Are we filled inwardly with the Holy Spirit of life? Are we clothed outwardly with the Holy Spirit of power? If we would be living, functioning member of the body of Christ, we must be filled inwardly with the Holy Spirit as life, and we must be clothed outwardly with the Holy Spirit as power. Then we will be strong in life and equipped with power for our function in the body. If when we come together as believers, meeting before the Lord, there is a lack of function in our midst, it's quite likely due to one of these two. On the one hand, 
Believers are really filled with the Holy Spirit inwardly and more clothed outwardly with his power. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Tongues in connection with the filling or baptism of the Holy Spirit was then, and it is still a point of controversy among many people. But let's endeavor to wade through this a little bit and, and see if we can get some clarity here. You see, I believe, friends, this morning that the reality of the matter is not so much the language, our language of life that we've learned from our childhood, or the heavenly language that God would give us. It's not so much our language that comes out of our mouth, but the lifestyle that we live and the manner of unity in which we live it that makes such a huge difference. First Corinthians, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians, uh, Paul the Apostle addresses a controversial matter. He had spoke to them, sorry, it's First Corinthians, I got my notes wrong here. He spoke to them about love in chapter 13. And he had, trying to get through to them that they needed to be a loving and caring people of one another. And there had been trouble in the Corinthian church, trouble over everything from taking one another to court to elicit premarital sexual practices and struggles over public prayer and misusing the Lord's Supper as an occasion to be gluttonous and drunk. So Paul told him, he was instructing him on these things. And then we find the chapter 13 in there of that love chapter. And then right after that, he starts into the issues pertaining to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, one of their biggest issues was that the Corinthians couldn't get along. In the church, they were fighting and they were struggling and there was no unity. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14... It says they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Friends, today I believe that's the key in seeing the outpouring of God's Spirit among us. Today is no different. Today the people of God need the unifying presence of Christ the same as they did back there in the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. Come back with me for a moment, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. Verses 2 to 5, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the whole church. I wish you all spoke in tongues, Paul says, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Verses 12 through 14 of that same chapter. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, 
Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Unfortunately, both in the days of the Corinthian church and in some cases the church today, there is more controversy over the matter of whether or not we speak in tongues as to whether we are actually carrying out the mandate that Jesus gave us to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. He will and does empower obedient people. So you would say, Pastor, are you against people speaking in tongues? Are you against the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues with interpretation or speaking in a heavenly language of God-given inspiration as we're in our closet praying? Of course not. Of course I'm not against that. Dive in. Friends today, dive deep. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to, to flood your soul, to flood your spirit. But be sure of two things. Unity in the body of Christ and obedience to the Word of God is extremely critical. Extremely critical. I want to close with this quote this morning. I couldn't find the author's name, but I just appreciated what was said. Jesus is very concerned about us, and he wants us to do more than participate in good works. He wants us to believe in him. He wants us to come up higher and be like him. When we are being obedient to God, we are doing just that. Knowing him, loving him, and having a personal intimate relationship with him. To do this, we must be attentive to God's laws. This is not an option because you can't have an intimate relationship with Jesus and trample on the words he taught. Obedience to God is living God's word because you want to, and you want to enjoy being filled with the fullness of the love of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for the lessons it teaches, the encouragement and challenge that it gives to us. And Father, this morning we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray for a baptism in your Holy Spirit. We pray for an empowerment. But, oh God... We first pray for unity among believers. We pray, God, that as a, as a church, we would, we, would, we would flow together, we would blend together, we would, we would desire to be bathed in your beauty as we wait for you and wait for your outpouring. As we seek to drive ourselves in unity before you, and we seek to wait in your presence for the beauty of your spirit to be poured out. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the beautiful work that you're doing in, in so many of our lives. And God, we pray that, that that beautiful spirit would continue to flow over us, into us, 
and then out of us as we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus in our homes, in our families, in our community. We thank you for the mandate that you gave us. Let it be so, we pray. Amen.